Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, if you are standing to your feet, you can take your seat. Can't wait to get into the Word tonight. I want to encourage you to grab Pastor Corey's message from this morning, if you can, on podcast or on YouTube. Because actually we're going to preach tonight. God clearly wants to give a message to His church today. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. The book of James chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 1 to 4 together. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, Two, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Hey, or in James' words, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, just this past week, I was reading an online article about a young man whose name is David Davis. Yes, there is only one letter difference between his first name and his surname, David Davis. And he needed a little haircut. He needed his braids redone. And so he went to the barber shop. And he was sitting in the barber shop, getting his haircut done, getting his hair dealt with, when somebody else in the barbershop said something that really, really annoyed David Davis. So guess what David David did? He picked up the closest pair of scissors he could find and started slashing at the other person in the barber store that annoyed him. Then he realised what he'd done and he had to make a run for it. So out the back door of the barbershop he went and he didn't get far before he was caught and arrested. Now, I want you to see David Davis's mugshot. Here it is. This is David Davis with literally half a haircut. The title of my message today, you can leave David Davis up there for a second, is Cut and Run or Endure and Mature. And the reason that I have introduced David Davis to us today is because he is the literal example of somebody who got halfway through a cut, cut someone else and then ran. What does it mean for you and I today to cut and run? Hopefully not the same as what that looks like. But to cut and run means to make a speedy departure from a difficult situation rather than stay and deal with it. Now, I don't know about you, but in the last 18 months, I may or may not have a few moments where I've entertained the idea of cutting and running from downtown lockdown town. We are 200 days into lockdown. And for those of you who don't know my sad and sorry story, which you've all got your own, I am homeschooling four children for 200 days. I've got one who's in year 12, I've got one in year 10 who in that 200 days has literally broken eight bones in his body. 
We've been to over 20 hospital appointments. That's how bored he is in lockdown. Then I'm also homeschooling a year eight son who also broke a bone during that time. I promise you, I did not break any of them, although maybe at times when I was teaching them, I did consider it. And then I have a daughter who's homeschooling in year six. So 200 days of homeschooling those little cherubs. Then on top of that, I'm also working full time. You know, the struggle has been real and I'm not going to lie. There's been more than a moment or two when I've entertained the idea of perhaps not getting a half cut like David Davis, but potentially cutting and running. Please tell me I am not alone. It's completely understandable that we would entertain thoughts of making a speedy departure from this difficult situation rather than staying and dealing with it. I want you to check out this research from McCrindle, which tells us that Australians are reporting that the optimism that we self-identify with and that we're known for all around the world is being sapped from us from repeated lockdowns and we no longer self-identify as the lucky country. That's very sad. Three in five Aussies, that's 61%, say that they feel drained by ongoing restrictions. Two in five Aussies or 42% report tension in their most significant relationships. Three in five report increased feelings of loneliness. Do you know that the leading cause of death for those between the ages of 15 and 44 in Australia in 2020 was not heart disease, it was suicide. 12,900 people saw no way out in 2020 and ended their own lives. Research shows that Gen Z and Gen Y are the most greatly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic in Australia. Listen to this from Dr. Lindsay McMillan. He said, although young people have been the least impacted from health impacts of COVID-19, economically through employment challenges and socially through cancelled activities and life plans, they have been the most impacted. And if you've seen the stats on teen depression and teen medication right now, this has been incredibly tough on that generation. Now, with all of that in mind, it's no wonder. I can't imagine I'm the only one who's had a David Davis moment where I have considered cutting and running. So that is our context in this nation today in 2021. Interestingly, In our passage that we read together, James was writing to the church who had been forced to cut and run. In verse 1, we read James was writing to the scattered church. He says, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. You see, following the martyrdom of Stephen, persecution became so intense for followers of Jesus. And it wasn't just coming from one source, it was coming from two. Firstly, it was coming from Imperial Rome. Secondly, it was coming from the Jewish leaders of the temple, both of them executing violence on the followers of Jesus. So the believers were faced with a decision, disperse or die, cut and run or die. And so the church was scattered all across the Mediterranean. Now we know today with the wisdom of hindsight, that God actually used this dispersion to fulfil his desire for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. However, for them at the time, it just felt super, super tough. 
You see, James was writing to a church who was separate from both their leadership and from one another, lacking in community. And all of a sudden, these believers were now responsible for their own spiritual growth, for their own sense of well-being, all whilst processing grief, change, financial hardship and loss. This church had not been together in months. Sound familiar? So James did what any good leader would do in the pre-digital age before he could stream, before he could get all up on the socials. He wrote them a letter. Now let's pause to acknowledge the similarities here. We, the church right now, are in dispersion. We are dealing with mass change on a daily basis. We are grieving. Some could say that we too are facing persecution. We too, many of us, are faced with financial and relational pressures. They face the reality of cut and run or die, disperse or die. We face a slightly different tension, a question that we must wrestle with and answer, sometimes moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. The question is, will we cut and run or will we endure and mature? Now, because most of us who are listening today have been raised in a first world, in a secular society that's sustained by this endless pursuit of happiness... We, most of us, have not been taught nor had necessity to know how to process or to make sense of anything that's as hard as what we're going through right now. Anything that gets in the way of this pursuit of happiness. And knowing how to process these seasons is what we call a theology of suffering. And Western culture lacks it. Knowing how to process these seasons is uh, or lacking knowing how to process those seasons is why some of the big questions we ask are things like, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a very first world secular question. And if you've ever asked that, it's not wrong to ask it. That's the society we live in. But if you spoke to a third world believer, or if you spoke to believers in Afghanistan right now with what they're going through, they're not asking why do bad things happen to good people because their theology has room for suffering, grief and loss. Timothy Keller said most cultures, unlike our own, expect suffering as inevitable and see it as a means of strengthening and enriching us. But in secular culture, the meaning of life is to be free to choose what makes you happy. And so suffering destroys that meaning. And so in the secular view, suffering can have no meaning at all. So here we have this clash of cultures. So then how do you and I make sense of James's words? Have you ever read them and gone, James, come on, brother. Consider it pure joy when we face trials of various kinds. Well, let's look at that for a moment because this first phrase here that James uses, count it all. In the language he is using literally means do the math, add up the facts, calculate the sum total. In other words, make a profit and loss sheet 
or what we would more do in our society today, draw up a little pros and cons chart. And what we realise is when we look at the big context of our life and the trials we face, that in enduring in a trial, we gain more than we lose. We gain more than we lose when we endure in a trial. Just this past couple of weeks, we were processing in our cluster group some of the leadership development material. And one of the questions was, name a leader you've grown the most under or a season in your life where you've become the most like Christ or grown the most. Every single person in the room spoke about difficult leaders being their biggest growth point or hard seasons in life. This is exactly what James is talking about. Reflect on your life, put it all in like a pros and cons, profit and loss, and what you'll realise when you say no to immediate gratification and look at the big picture of your life, that in a trial and through trial, you will gain more than we lose. And this isn't the only place in the Bible where this whole pros and cons process is talked about. Paul talks about it as well. In Philippians 3.8, Paul's talking about, you know, when I weigh up all the trials, the persecution, the imprisonment, he draws the same conclusion. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so here is this concept again that we gain more in a trial than we lose. And this is the reason that we can have true and lasting joy when we face a trial. And that right there is a theology of suffering. To count it all joy. Now here is what I have learned. Our history with Jesus should determine our approach to the mystery with Jesus. The seasons where we don't understand and we desperately wish that the situation and the circumstances was different and everything within us wants to cut and run, we need to stop, pause and call to mind our history with Jesus as James encourages us to do. For me, that looks like spending time on the days when I just want to be anywhere but downtown, lockdown town and go, What is my history with Jesus? When has He come through? He has been faithful every single time. It means sitting at the meal table with my kids and asking them, when has God come through for you? And we share our stories and our faith is built. It means sitting with my life group, sitting with my leadership cluster, even if it's on Zoom and say, let's just testify of the goodness of God. Let's put it all in a pros and cons and let's realise in the big picture of things, when it comes to a trial with Jesus, I will always get more than I lose. And this then empowers us to joyfully endure so that we mature. I am not talking about just gritting our teeth and surviving, but joyfully enduring and thriving. Now, the most obvious part of this scripture is the part you've probably heard preached many, many times. He says that we will face trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, the NIV adds, and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Not if, not when, not just one, but many. 
But what we may not have heard about this is the word that James uses for those various trials actually communicates that it's an unexpected trial. It's something you don't see coming. The word picture that's painted is if you've seen a journey to the centre of the earth and you see like the rock, he's running away, he's getting away down a leafy path and then all of a sudden the ground gives way underneath him and he falls into a hole. That's the exact kind of trial, the picture that James is painting. That we're walking along the path of life and all of a sudden we didn't see it coming but then we feel like we're in a hole and we almost feel overwhelmed by the trial that we are in. It's a trial purpose to test not so much what we are made of but our ability to endure in the unexpected. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation but take Heart, I have overcome the world. We actually know that the church that James was writing to was not facing one challenge, but many, many challenges. Now stay with me here because this is important because the way that James constructs the sentence here when he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, indicates that James wasn't actually talking about individual trials. He was talking about the trials the community was facing. He was talking about the trials that the church, though dispersed, what they had in common was the trials that they were facing. Tell me, can you name another time in your lifetime where the church has faced a set of circumstances or trials like we are in right now? We're not able to gather The restrictions on how we can record our online services are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. In some states, they're not allowed to sing, for goodness sake. We are not just in individual trials right now, although they are very, very real. And I've touched on those earlier. But the church is in a trial right now. And I don't want us to miss the big picture of what's actually going on in the spiritual realm and in the political climate because we're all so engrossed in our own individual struggles because I'm not just talking about COVID, although that is a trial for the church. Some of the attacks on the Australian church and her leaders right now is really intense. We need to be praying. We need to be awake We need to be aware, not lulled to sleep by our own individual challenges. James goes on to say, we should know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. I love the word steadfast. One of my life scriptures is Psalm 57, 7, which says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. What does it mean to have a steadfast heart? Well, James, in further down in this chapter in verse 6, he describes the opposite of someone who has a steadfast heart. He says that the believer is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Paul uses a similar analogy in Ephesians 4. He's talking about maturity in Christ. And he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, 
by craftiness in deceitful schemes. How do we get to the place where we are steadfast, where we can bend and flex with the wind and not snap and break? Trials. We learn how to endure in a trial by enduring in a trial. And if we spend our life cutting and running when it gets hard, we actually biblically can't reach full maturity in Christ. Endurance is the pathway to maturity. Pete Scazzaro says, I saw losses as obstacles I had to overcome in order to mature in Christ. But God saw my losses as requirements in order for me to mature in Christ. Little did I know that the treasures buried deep in my sorrows contained the gifts I needed to grow into an emotional and spiritual big girl. Well, he said big boy, adult. So upon that foundation, I want to take a bit of a left turn. And I want to speak specifically and I believe prophetically into three areas that the church, which is us as individuals, us as Numa Church, the global church, need to be very aware of enduring in, in this season, when it would be much easier to cut and run. Firstly, people of God endure in community to experience maturity. In the context of our passage, such was the persecution, the dispersion, the poverty that resulted from their scattering, the believers began to turn on one another. Disunity arose. You know, I find 1 Peter 5, 8 so very interesting in this season. I want you to look at this scripture with me, remembering we're all isolated right now. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Anyone who has seen any David Attenborough knows that lions devour their prey by first isolating them. This is not a time to isolate relationally and to turn on one another. This issue that we are facing in all of its complexities has the potential to be very polarising. You want to know how polarising it is? Guess what happened to me yesterday? I was out on a run just trying to maintain my sanity, minding my own business. And because I'm running, I had my mask in my leggings pocket because the rules tell me that when I'm running, I don't have to wear my mask. So I'm all good with masks, but not when I'm running. I can barely breathe just while I'm running, let alone with a mask on. So I'm running along a local road, just getting clear in my head, neck minute. About 20 metres away, there's a lollipop lady, sees me coming, slams down her stop sign on the path I'm running on. I'm like, hold up. Is she telling me to stop on the footpath here? Because call me naive, but I thought her power and her jurisdiction and her little sign only worked on the stripes on the road or where the orange flags that said school crossing were. But no, apparently if you're wearing the fluorescent yellow coat and the orange sash, you can just stick that sign anywhere, baby, and expect everyone to obey. Well, I wasn't stopping. 
Because if I stopped, then I would have to put my mask on and she wins. So I keep running. And so she starts yelling out at me, where's your mask? So as I'm still running, I said, I'm running. I don't have to wear a mask. And this is all happening like super slow motion. And so then she's yelling at me. The whole way as I run away, I could hear her through my AirPods. Now, I would love to tell you that that little interaction ended with me saying thank you for your care and your concern and your community service and that I invited her to church. But I didn't. I did invite her to go somewhere, but it wasn't church. Now, to top it all off, this morning I'm driving into church and as I'm driving along that road and recollecting it, the Lord's like, Stacey, take the high road. And so I'm approaching up to where the said lollipop lady is. And there she is waving her sign around like it's a loaded gun. And wouldn't you know it, she's got her mask off drinking a coffee. What the heck? Well, I'll tell you what. This is what I mean about this is a very polarising issue because she's a very nice old lady, I'm sure. And so am I. But here we are going at one another because this issue is so polarising. You know what? We are the church. We need to be different. Can we not turn on one another right now over this issue? Because Paul spent copious amounts of time writing to the church saying, there can be unity in your diversity when you focus on what you have in common, not the 1% of what we do not have in common Can I just shed light on something in this season? Right now, we're doing our best to give you church down the barrel of a camera, but it doesn't feel natural. You're doing your best to engage with church online with your kids running around and the Zoom fatigue and all the things, right? We're doing our best, but the best parts of church are missing. The bits where we see one another in the foyer and we embrace or we smile or I get to pray for you or you get to pray for me or we catch up on one another's lives. All that good stuff is missing. And we need to be really careful that we don't start to make assumptions about one another based on perceptions from a distance. This is what was happening to the dispersed church when James wrote to them. They were no longer together. If you read the New Testament, the way the church lived was like in one another's pockets, eating together, laughing together, doing life together. And now all of a sudden they're separated and they begin to turn on one another. And the sad thing is the enemy was prowling like a lion. He actually used the believers to turn on one another and devour one another. Can we not fall for that? Interestingly, studies show that psychologically... Pain is not meant to be experienced alone. Renowned therapist Robert Storolo said this, trauma is when severe emotional pain cannot find a relational home in which it can be held. This trial we are all in can become something we mature through or it can be a trauma that marks us for life if we disconnect from relationship. Stay connected in relationship. As James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. How? Simply stay. Simply connect. Simply humble yourself. Simply endure. Simply keep believing the best about one another. 
simply keep speaking life about the church that Jesus is returning for. I loved this Instagram that a, a worship leader put up the other day, which is a quote from a, an ebook by John Mark Comer. She said this, stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community, for it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. And when you fail a course, Throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent, repent again and again. Risk vulnerability. We will get hurt and we will hurt in return. That's part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. The next area we really need to be mindful of enduring is endure in being resolute in the absolutes. As the church right now, as individuals, we need to endure in being resolute about the absolutes. James was writing to a people who had begun to fall into submission to the culture around them, in other words, into worldliness. Under pressure and in the absence of present leadership without the community, without rubbing shoulders with brothers and sisters, many followers of Jesus were unable to put their faith into practice and they began to waver in their convictions. I've got to tell you, it grieves me in this season to see on fire become lukewarm, to see conviction become, oh, maybe, to see absolute become, yeah, sometimes. Real talk, we, we read it before, we're all lonely, we all want to connect, we don't want to argue, we want to fit in, we want people to like us. So would it be easier when you're in a conversation right now about gender, sexuality, purity and pronouns to cut and run from what we know God's absolutes are just so that we can be in connection with people? Yes. Would it be easier when someone's saying to you, you know, I don't think I'll ever go back to the corporate gathering because I can just connect online when I feel like it and I can church shop. Would it be easier in that moment for you just to go, oh, I'd rather stay connected than say what I know to be true, that the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. Yes, that would be easier. And this is what was happening to the dispersed church. I mean, it was very real. This is a group of people who saw Stephen martyred because he chose not to be silent. And so to depart, to depart from their faith, to not stand for the absolutes would have been very easy for them. We are not in a physical life and death situation, but make no mistake, this is spiritual life and death. Other people's eternity is contingent on our ability right now to be resolute in the absolutes. Actually, this next statement I'm about to make has prophetic weight. The boundaries of the bride of Christ tomorrow 
is contingent on our ability today to be resolute in the absolutes. In Ephesians 4, we read part of it before, Paul writes a bit further down about one of the marks of a mature believer is the ability to speak the truth in love. It's not speaking the truth with no love. It's not all love and no truth. It's this perfect tension of speaking the truth in love. And when we fear man more than we fear God, when we don't endure in the truth, we stunt our own maturity and more importantly, we deny an invitation for others to come into true freedom in Christ. The world does not need us right now to start backtracking on what we have professed for generations, what we know the Bible says. They need an anchor to hold on to. They need us to endure and to be consistent and reliable. 1 Peter says, The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. I love this bit. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. The Gospel is good news. It's not embarrassing news. It's not out of date news. It's not news that can be explained away because it was written in a different context and a different time. It's still today very good news. And James and Peter's exhortation to the church is what mine is to us today, what God's is to me. Stay steadfast in what has been preached to you. Stand firm in the truth that remains forever. Listen to this quote from McCrindle. There is a perception that Australians don't do religion. The reality is quite different. Not only are Australians, Australians engaging in spiritual pursuits, they are engaging in more faith practices since COVID-19. People are spending more time thinking about purpose and meaning. God conversations are up and so is prayer. Let's not waste this opportunity. Right when you want to cut and run in a conversation or a relationship where somebody thinks differently than you, is right when you need to endure and mature and speak the truth in love and trust that the gospel is good news. The third area we need to endure in is endure in intimacy to bear mature fruit. You know, the sign of spiritual maturity in the body of Christ is not how many spiritual gifts are in operation, but how much spiritual fruit is in formation. In John 15, 5, we read, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, a mature church, mature believer, has evidence of their history with Jesus. It's called fruit. And in Galatians 5, 22, we read that this fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the only way we can produce this fruit in a season of such intense trial, when everything looks barren in the natural, is by abiding, remaining, enduring, when everything within us wants to cut and run. A fruitful tree 
must remain grounded and firm even amidst the storms of life with roots going down deep for it to bear fruit. Psalm 1, speaking of believers who endure in the absolutes of Torah or of Scripture, says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You know, I'm reminded that there's a type of cutting away that is necessary for us to actually produce fruit. It's not the cut that we make when we've just had enough. It's not the cut that others inflict on us where our instinct is to run or withdraw and to protect. It's the loving cut from the vine dresser who is forming and fashioning us. Is there anyone else who has felt a little thin, bare or maybe pruned in the last season? And while our instinct may be to cut and run or to separate and to run, Jesus teaches us that the pathway to fruitfulness is to trust the vine dresser in the cutting, in the pruning. And that when we weigh it all up, that we would count it all joy. The Christ-likeness, the fruitfulness that comes from the trials is worth so much more than what gets cut away from us. This is for someone today, probably more than one person. Don't let what was cut off you in the last season become what comforts you in this season. Don't go back to that relationship that you know you were meant to leave. Don't go back to that addiction. Don't go back to that behaviour to bring yourself some kind of numbing comfort when you know that that was pruned off you by Jesus Christ. Stay in intimacy with Him and you can bear fruit even in the trial. If you're seeking comfort, run to the comforter. So I want to ask you a question as the band joins me. In the last 18 months, have you cut and run? Remembering that I'm not just talking about a physical cut and run that can be spiritual or emotional. Or are you enduring to mature? Here's the thing, we're in a revival series at the moment. And as I've been reading the stories of incredible revivalists like Dwight Moody and Catherine Kuhlman, Evan Roberts, Mel Tari, George Whitefield. It's so inspiring. You know what every single one of them has in common? They face incredible persecution and trial and they endure. Just That's all they do. They endure longer than everybody else. As many of their peers cut and run when the going got tough, it was them that endured in the church, endured in local community. They endured in the truth of God's Word. In fact, often they were the clarion call saying, we got to get back to the absolutes. And they were persecuted and misunderstood for it. And they endured in deepening intimacy that inspires us and that you and I are still living in the fruit of decades later. And I believe with all my heart, we are on the brink of a very significant move of God, but we must endure. Galatians 6, 9. I need to stand to your feet as I read this over you. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if 
We do not give up. So God, here in Your presence, we hear Your voice calling us to endure so that we would mature in Christ. Lord, we admit that in this last season, there have been so many times where we have wanted to cut and run. At times it feels so overwhelming, God, but we look to You and we choose to stay connected in community. We choose to believe what You said about Your Bride in the Word of God. We choose to hold that vision in our hearts and in our minds. We believe that the Word of God is true. We believe that every word is Spirit-inspired and has power to correct and to teach us and to train us in the way we would go. Would You help us to abide and to endure in Your Word? And we believe, Lord Jesus, that You are calling us to a deepening intimacy and we will not put walls up in our heart because this is hard. Instead, we say we open ourselves up to You. Have Your way, do Your work. Prune what You need to prune. Make us who You need us to be because we do want to see a revival sweep across our hearts, across this church, across this city and across this nation. Come on, can we all lift our voices? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.